If you have a Bible, please turn in it to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Good morning. Uh, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, if I have not met you, my name is Penny, and I would love to meet you after the service, so uh, please find me. I'd love to welcome you formally to Covenant, or... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Christ the King. <laughs> I'd love to welcome you to the Covenant. How about that? <laughs> Uh, oh boy. Okay. So, uh, but my name is Penny and I am glad to be here. Uh, we are looking, uh, we started last week uh, looking at a series uh, concerning the I am statements in the Gospel of John. Uh, there are seven of these that Jesus gives throughout the Gospel of John. He makes this claim, I am, and then he fills in the blank with some sort of descriptor and identity marker of who he is. And last week I said the reason why, or one of the reasons why we're considering these statements is because as Christians we believe that the whole of human history and really the foundations of the universe are founded upon this man Jesus. And so it is imperative because of the centrality that he has, not just for our life, but for the world, to understand what it is that he said about himself, how he identified himself. And so we're doing this by looking at uh, these statements, but, but we're not just looking at them in order to try and dissect Jesus, to try and um, understand him just with our minds in some sort of academic endeavor. No, we, we actually believe that as we come in contact with the person of Jesus, it will affect our minds, it will affect the way that we think, but it's also going to affect our hearts and our desires and our wills and affections and our words and our actions and every aspect of our being. That as we engage with him and come in contact with him, we cannot help but be changed. And so that's why we come and we look at this one who makes these claims throughout the Gospel of John. We come expecting to be changed, to be formed and fashioned more into his likeness. And so last week we started looking at John chapter 6, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we heard how, how that, in saying that, Jesus is declaring that all that we have longed for and hungered for and are hoping for find their satisfaction in him. And this morning, we have another one of his I am statements. It's found in verse 12 of John 8. We're, we're only going to read this one verse, but we're going to hop around a little bit. So if you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to keep it open because we're going to look at some other passages as well as we seek to understand what Jesus means when he declares himself the light of the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's give our attention to it. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that as we come to your word, that you meet with us through your spirit. And so we ask that you would again meet with us, that you would open our eyes, and that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to be, to be pleasing to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
Well, growing up in Canada, I grew up in a split-level home. Um, you guys are familiar with split-level homes. I'm, I'm living in one right now. They're all over the city of Roanoke, so you guys know what these are. But, but maybe, maybe you're not familiar. Split-level, you know, you walk in on the landing, or at least that's what we called in. Is that what we call it here in Roanoke, too, the landing? Okay. Wasn't sure if that was just a Canadian thing or... <laughs> but you walk in on the landing, and the house is split, right? There's the upstairs and the downstairs in my particular home where I grew up. My bedroom, the kitchen, the dining room, the living room, they were all up on the upstairs. And, and the downstairs was where our family room was, the ping pong table, the TV. That's where my little brother and I would hang out and play. We'd play hockey downstairs in the hall and, and throw balls and do all those things we're not supposed to do. That's where we played. And, and really, my life was split, right, between the upstairs and the downstairs. And, and I have this distinct remember, remem, uh, memory as a child of standing at the top of the landing, looking down the stairs, frozen with fear. I have this distinct memory because I was just a little man at the time, just a little guy, and, and I was deathly afraid of the dark. And downstairs, there was darkness. And there was nothing I could do about it because the light switch to turn on the light that was on the landing at the top of the stairs, it was too high. And I remember actually trying to stand on my tiptoes and reach and try to climb to hit that light to turn the light on downstairs. And I just couldn't do it. And so there I stood afraid, fearful of what might be lurking in the basement. Do y'all remember what it was like to be scared of the dark? To, to have those places in your house that were, that were filled with a great deal of fun and laughter and, and adventure when the lights were on. But as soon as the lights went off and the sun went down, those corners and behind those doors and under the beds, I mean, who knows what could be creeping there or lurking out to jump out at us and, and scare us half to death, right? Do you, do you remember those days? Well, it's not just little kids that struggle with fear of the dark. Kids, kids guess what? Your, your parents struggle with fear of the dark as well. Not the literal dark in our basement, but the dark that seems to be actually taking over our world, that seems to be spreading into our country and our nation. I mean, there, there is a darkness that seems to be encroaching upon the light of the world, doesn't it? And, and it concerns us, fear and worry. Kat and I actually experienced this the other day. We were at the Salem Post Office uh, getting our kids' passports renewed because I'm from Canada, so one day we'll have to go back and see family. So we're getting our passports renewed, and we're talking to the postal lady there, and it comes out, I'm a pastor, and she starts asking these questions. Like, what is going on in our world? This was a couple weeks ago. These are the questions she's asking. What is happening to our country? And in asking these questions, what we heard in her voice was fear and worry and concern. Because it feels like darkness is creeping, that darkness is advancing. And when we feel that, it serves in us worry and concern and fear. Well, I remember standing up at the top of those stairs, and I knew what was below. I knew what was at the bottom. You see, if I could just muster up in my heart enough courage to take that first step on the 
on this step. If I can make it down to the hall and run to the end of the hall, we had this long hall, run to the end of the hall, I would meet the, be met with the family room. And in the family room on the right was a little table and on the table was a lamp. And I knew that if I just had enough courage and I ran fast enough, I could turn that light on. And as soon as I heard the click of the light, the darkness would flee. And as fast as the darkness fled, so too would my fears. And friends, that, that's the case in our world too. But it's not up to us to find the courage to go looking for the lamp. Actually, God's word tells us, Jesus tells us in this passage, that the light, it has already come. It has already come, and so we need not be fearful, and we may go out into this world with great courage because a light has come. In the first chapter of John, as John is describing Jesus being incarnate, coming and taking on flesh, he says that the light has come into the world and the darkness shall not overcome it. The light has already come. And so we need not be fearful, but we can be courageous. Because the light has erupted into the darkness. And with this light, Jesus brings life. He brings life. That's what he tells us in verse 12, that whoever follows him has the light of life. That Jesus, this light that has come into the darkness, with this light he brings life for you and for me. And so the implication here is that apart from the light, there is no life. Right? And we understand this. We understand the imagery that Jesus is using because we've all tried to plant something before, right? We take seeds vegetable or, or uh, fruit or flowers, right? We take the seed and we stick it in a pot. And we know that no matter how much we water that soil and how much we fertilize it and how good that soil is, that if we keep it in the dark, in the shadows, and it never sees the light of day, there will be no life, right? Life will not sprout forth from that seed. It will remain dormant. And the same is true with us. The same is true with us. If we remain in the darkness, there is no life. But, but here's actually where the analogy breaks down, because every analogy breaks down at some point. And this one breaks down here. The difference between us and that seed is we're not dormant. You see, the Bible is very clear. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we are not lying comatose or dormant, but in our sin, we are dead. We are dead. That the darkness of our sin has overwhelmed us so much so that we are lifeless. And so we need a light to come from outside of us. Something to come from outside of us to actually create in us new life. And that's what Jesus does. He enters into the darkness. Forget about the darkness of our world. He enters into the darkness of our own hearts and shines his light upon us. I mean, think about that. Think about how amazing it is that Jesus would enter into the darkness. Like, think, think about the dark world that he entered into to bring you life. Jesus, the king of the universe, the maker of the universe, right? He was in heaven at God's right hand. He was sitting there enthroned on high, being worshipped by angels and all the saints who have gone before us. And what did he do? He left his rightful place of prominence and he entered into the darkness. He took on flesh and was born into poverty. He lived for 30 years in complete and absolute obscurity. And when he finally made himself known and he had these three years of public ministry, what greeted him? 
questions and doubts and mocking until ultimately he was arrested and beaten and murdered. That is the darkness that he entered into for you. To give you life. To take you out of the darkness and bring you into his light. That is the love that he has for you. That he would enter into this and he would give us new life. He would give us new life and he is the only light that can do this. Look, we can try good works. We can try to give to charity. We can love our spouse well. We can obey our parents. right? We can help the needy. All these things that are good, but apart from Jesus, they are not life-giving. They're just dead works. But Jesus enters in and gives us life by his grace. This is what he does. He enters in to rid our hearts of the darkness of our sin, this light that brings life. But he's not just light for life. He's also light for along the way, for along our way. That's what he says in verse 12. Whoever follows me not only will receive life, but whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So what Jesus is saying here is that he doesn't give us life and then recede. He doesn't pull away, but he actually provides us direction for how we are to live. And this is really not a new theme with Jesus. In fact, it's not a new theme with the New Testament. In fact, there's, there's very little new in the New Testament. Um, much of what we read in the New Testament is built upon the old. And so what we see is actually this theme of God providing the way through light showing up again and again. We can read about in the historical books and the prophets and Proverbs and Exodus chapter 13. We hear that as God is leading his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness towards the promised land, that he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light. And then the psalmist, speaking about God's law, describes it this way, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then John in the New Testament, reflecting upon our fellowship with Christ, he says that we are walking in the light. This is what God has done for us. He provides us actually direction for how we are to go. He doesn't just breathe into us new life, but he now shows us how we are to walk, how we are to live, how we are to speak, how we are to think. And this is God's grace to us because the truth is, is that we're prone to return to the darkness. Right? I mean, those, those dark places of our hearts, those deep recesses of our minds where we hold on to those things that we think will give us life, we hold on to them and we hide them from the dark because we don't want to expose them to the light, because we don't want to give them up, right? Those places like lust and envy and greed and self-righteousness, we are prone to return to those things, right? I am. To prone to return to those dark places in our heart. And so it is God's grace to us that he would actually provide for us light as we continue to walk with him. That he would expose those things so that we would actually turn from them. Okay, so what does this look like? Like, how, how do we do that then? How do we walk in this Light. How do we shine it into those dark places and resist the darkness of our own sin? Well, there's lots of things we could talk about. Right? We could talk about the body, God's community, his people, 
how we bear with one another in our burdens, how we share with one another, how we hold one another accountable. We could talk about those, and, and one day we will, but, but not today. We could talk about the primacy of worship, why we come together and we sing and we partake of the sacrament and how these things feed us and direct us. We could talk about that, but, but that's for another day as well. Now, this morning, what I want us to see instead is that the, the primary way in which God shows us the way that we are to live, to resist the darkness even in our own hearts, is through his word. It's through his word. I, I read it, Psalm 119, your word is a light unto my path. You see, Jesus has given us the light of his word, and so we have to be people of his word, to love it, to think upon it, to read it, to hear it to dwell on it. But, but there's something that hinders us from, from doing this, from using the word in this way, from treating it in this way. And, and this is that we, we treat the word like a GPS. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, um, you guys know what GPS does. For the last few weeks, uh, Kat and I have been completely dependent upon a GPS as we're getting around Roanoke because in, in case you don't know, like the, the roads in Roanoke aren't very straight, right? <laughs> And uh, they change names over and over again. And I'm pretty sure I've seen like four different roads called McVitty, but I can't tell if it's the same road or if it's like three different ones, right? Like, did it just merge and hop? Like, I, I don't get it. So I have to take out my GPS, right? And it tells me where to go because without it, I would be 100% lost, right? So I take out my GPS and this is how we follow along. But after a couple of weeks, right, I, I can get to uh, the office and back to my home without getting lost. And, and uh, other than this morning, I can get here and home without getting lost. I, I took a wrong turn. <laughs> I should have had my GPS out, right? And, and I know how to get to different places because I'm starting to feel comfortable. I'm starting to feel used to this place. And so I don't need it anymore. It stays in the glove box or my phone stays in my pocket. I don't pull it out until I'm getting coffee with one of y'all or lunch and, and we're going somewhere I've never been before. And so now I have to pull it out again because I'm unsure and I'm unaware and I know I'm gonna get lost. And so this is now when I pull it out to give me direction. And this is how we sometimes treat the word. This is how we sometimes treat God's word. You see, it, it's like a GPS. We only take it out when we're feeling lost and uncomfortable and are unsure about the next place to go. And it will help us in that, but it's not simply that. You see, the word isn't simply directional aid for when we feel lost. The word is less like a GPS and more like the air we breathe. You see, it's more like the air we breathe because, because we know that we have to take in and out air every moment to continue to live. And the same is true of the word, that we have to take it in and out. We have to breathe it in and out. We have to feed upon, upon it moment by moment. We have to be thinking about it and reading it and memorizing it and hearing it. We need to be taking it in and out because if we don't, we will actually be prone towards darkness again. We have to take it in. We have to become people of the word. Okay, so let me give you a real easy way to do this. Very simple way, and it doesn't mean that you have to get up any earlier. And it doesn't mean you have to learn Greek or Hebrew or know like uh, modern critical hermeneutical ideals, okay? You don't need to know any of that kind of stuff. 
all you have to do is have a smartphone or a CD player, because this is what I'm going to guarantee, is that the majority of us are in the car many days a week, right? Anybody, anybody walk everywhere that they go? No, of course not, right? We're in the car, and what are we doing in the car? Well, if you're like me, you're listening to the radio or NPR, or you're talking on your phone, you know, hopefully you're not texting, except maybe at that red light. No, I'm just kidding, don't text. But, um, right, we're, we're doing all sorts of other things that, that we could actually be using that time to listen to God's word. Right, we, we don't need to be listening to the newest band we don't even need to be listening at all times, sometimes we do, to our kids barking in the back. We could be just listening to God's word. For $12, you can go on iTunes right after the service, not right now, but right after the service, and download the entire New Testament. And you could listen to the entire book of Colossians in under 15 minutes. That's faster than we can read it. And we could be listening to it and ingesting it and taking it in, we can redeem that time that we have every single day when we are making our commute and going to the store and running our kids all over the place. We could be actually listening and taking in God's very word. Friends, that's how we become people of the word. We take it in. And that's how we resist the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of this world. We rely and depend upon God's word. That is just a simple, easy way for us to be in it. But if we're going to res resist darkness, if we're going to walk in the light, we have to depend upon God's word. And the amazing thing is that as we do this, as we follow Jesus into the light, as we follow his light, life-giving light, then what we're going to do is we are actually going to reflect that light into the darkness of the world. We're going to reflect it into the darkness of the world for the sake of the world. Okay, you still have your Bibles open. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's just a little bit to the left of the book of John, Matthew chapter 5. If you get to Malachi, you went a little too far. Come right back to the right. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus there is beginning his Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5 through 7 are Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is his instruction for his people. It's what it looks like to live ethically in God's kingdom. Okay, that's what he's giving in Matthew 5 through 7. And in verse 14, follow along, verses 14 and 15, this is what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, did you hear what Jesus said about you? He is making an identity statement about you. He said, you are the light of the world. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing to think about because in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. And now he says, my people, you are the light of the world. So he's saying that this title, this banner that hangs over him, this phrase that he identifies himself with, he now identifies you with. And this changes everything. This changes everything because this means that you are no longer marked by darkness and sin. That is not how you are primarily identified. 
but you are marked out as the light. That's what Jesus declares about you. I mean, is that not amazing and incredible to think about? That when Jesus looks upon us, he does not go that miserable, terrible, dark, dirty person. That's not what he says about you. If you are in Christ this morning, what he says is you are the light. You're the light. And as the light, we actually reflect Jesus' life-giving light to the world. That's what he said in verse 15, right? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so this means that as we go out, not, not just as we gather for worship in, on Sunday mornings or meet in our community groups, but that as we go out into our places of work and into our schools and with our neighbors and with our friends and our families, that as we go out, we are actually reflecting his light and pointing to the Father. We are pointing people out of darkness towards peace and light. We're actually like a lighthouse shining forth into the dark, showing people the way to peace and safety. That's who you are. That's who you are. You can't deny it. You can't turn away from it. You are the light of the world. This is what Jesus declares about you, that we would actually reflect his light into the world, into the nations, so that the nations would be called out of darkness and walk in his light. And this is the promise of the Old Testament coming to fruition. This was the promise of the Old Testament that the nations would no longer be in darkness, but that when the Messiah would come, the light would shine forth into it. This is what was spoken over Jesus by Simeon. Do you remember that in Luke? Mary and Joseph, they present Jesus at the temple as was uh, required by the law, the infant Jesus. And Simeon takes the infant in his arms and looks into his face and sings over him, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's us. That's the nation's. That is the hope that is embedded in every heart of every person. That the light would come, and it has. Jesus, the Messiah, he has brought the light of God into his world to deliver his people out of darkness, and he sends us out as his reflectors, as his ambassadors of that light. Well, I'm I'm glad to say that uh, I don't freeze anymore at the top of the stairs, like, uh, on our split level, I get to the landing, and I'm not worried about the dark anymore. At some point, I grew out of it. I don't know how old I was, but, but I'm not afraid to go down into the dark any longer. But as the father of three little kids, I, I'm uh, reminded uh, frequently how the darkness can be a scary place. And so very early on, uh, for their sake, as well as probably for Kat and I's own sanity, uh, we went and got our kids... Um, Wanted one of these. You, you guys know what these are, right? This is, this is a nightlight. This is Cole's nightlight. He said I could bring it. Um, it, it should probably be a baseball, but soccer's, soccer's okay. We, we don't mind soccer. But um, <laughs> it's a good sport, but um, it's not baseball. Okay, so, um, so you know what these do, right? Like every night, uh, I lay Cole down. We lay Cole down. Uh, we give him a kiss. We give him a hug. 
say goodnight, bud. We'll see you in the morning. I love you. And before, uh, before I turn off the lamp, before I close the door, what do I do? I turn this light on, right? I mean, l- look at this thing for a second. This isn't very bright. This isn't very bright, right? It's, it's actually really, really small. Isn't it amazing how just the smallest bit of light can bring peace and comfort in the midst of darkness? But you know, the thing about this light is that uh, one day the bulb's going to go out. And sooner or later at night, the power's going to go off. And the light will go out. And I imagine that when Jesus was crucified and dead and buried, that his enemies thought that that light that that burned so brightly had finally gone out. They had been snuffed out. And we know that his disciples, they actually worried that. They were concerned about it. The biblical witness tells us that, that they were wondering and questioning, how is it that this light could go out? You see, what they didn't realize then, but they would find out three days later, is that the light hadn't gone out. You see, when Jesus was entombed in the grave, it was more like a dimmer. The light had gone low, but it had not gone completely out. Because when he was resurrected, the light shone all the brighter. The light shone into the darkness, that even the darkness of death and hell and the grave could not overcome it. And the good news for us, friends, is that that darkness of death and hell in the grave that could not overcome the light then, the darkness of our world cannot overcome it now. But that Jesus' light, it burns on bright forever. Forever. John, the apostle John, who we just read, as he's looking to his vision in Revelation, he, he says in Revelation 21, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, he calls it a city, and he said the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That there is a day coming when there will be no more sin and no more weeping and no more death, when all things will be made new, and that Jesus' glory will burn so brightly we will have no need for sun nor moon, that his glory will burn so brightly that we will be able to see simply by the light that he emanates. That that is what is in store for us. And until that day, we can have confidence and courage that the light, it has still not gone out. The darkness may seem to be taking over, but friends, it hasn't. The darkness shall not overcome it. It shall not overcome it. Instead, friends, we can go out with courage. With courage, knowing that we go as reflectors of that life, walking in that light, knowing that the light of life, it has come. And it will burn forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have sent our Lord Jesus, the light of the world, to shine light into darkness, that you have shown it into our hearts, and that because of that, we now walk with you. And so we ask, shine your light upon the dark places of our hearts. Turn us from our sin and help us to reflect your glory, your light to our world. We pray this all in Jesus' name and God's people said together, amen. Friends, let's